You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. And man, I am pumped for 2021. I am very excited that we are done with 2020. 2020 was just the worst, man. I did not like it. But 2021, I'm excited for. We've got uh, victory. We've got vision. And we're pumped up from that. Now, how many of you guys have New Year's resolutions this year? By a show of hand, how many? Oh, my goodness. All right, two. Two people with New Year's resolutions. Well, um, according to um, the world and research, 50% of United States Americans have a New Year's resolution this year. Around 50%. That's definitely not the case for this group, but uh, 50% um, in the United States. And the top three most common New Year's resolutions are exercise more, get organized, and learn a new skill or hobby. Those top three. Exercise more, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby. And it seems like every year we have these aspirations, these goals on being a better person this year. And and we want to meet these resolutions and all that. But all too often, this new year, new you mentality um, doesn't last very long. In fact, if you can believe the statistics, almost 25% of people who set New Year's resolutions don't keep them through the first week of January. 25%. So I'm going to ask you next week if you are still following through uh, with your resolutions. 25% give up after the first week. And perhaps part of the reason is because we set unrealistic goals with ourselves, and that's one of the reasons why maybe we don't meet it. But I believe that the other reason is um, we know what we need to do, but we're just not prepared. We're not prepared to meet our goals. We aren't disciplined enough to meet our resolutions um, this year. We are unsure where to start, how to maintain progress, how to keep focused, and we end up just giving up in life and this year. And I, I want to deal with that today. I want to deal with meeting our goals in 2021, how we can be what God called us to be this year, and what it takes to do that. And I believe the key trait we need is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit giving there. And the Bible says when we're abiding in Jesus Christ, we can have these nine traits in our life. And I believe the key traits is found um, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and the last trait on that list. Look with me there, if you would, in verse 22. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much. I thank you so much for this day. Man, you're my best friends, my Savior, my King, my everything, Lord. And you're so good to me, Lord. I thank you for giving us a new year. I thank you for having a plan for our life. And I just ask that you just move in a mighty way in the service, Lord. Um, Be with everybody that's home today. And just take away every ounce of selfishness, every ounce of me in this message whatsoever. And help me hide behind the cross of Christ. And just open up our hearts for the message, Lord. We love you so much. We praise your name. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to deal with that last fruit on the list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and that's the fruit of temperance. I believe to achieve what God would have us to achieve in 2021, to meet our New Year's resolutions, we need temperance in our life. Now, another word for temperance is self-control, self-discipline, spirits controls. Spirit discipline and self-discipline, I believe, is what we need to meet our resolutions this year. And in Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he actually lists temperance last on the list. And he did that for a reason. He had a reason behind that, because the work of the Spirit actually reaches its completion 
and self-control. Self-discipline, it's the key thing in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And this virtue actually enables us to realize every other aspect of the spiritual fruit given there. The fruit of temperance, the fruit of self-discipline. And I believe that's what we need in 2021. You guys may not have New Year's resolutions, but you might have some goals. You might want to grow in Jesus Christ. The way to do that, the way to have a stronger personal relationship with Him, the way to do great things for God is self-discipline, spirit-controlled discipline in your life. Now, a good description of self-discipline is this. The ability to maintain progress toward a goal, even when you're not in the mood, don't feel like making the efforts, would momentarily enjoy something else, or find working toward your goal downright unpleasant. How many of you feel like that? You don't want to meet your goals. You don't want to do the steps that you need to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Well, you need self-discipline. Amen? It's the ability to regulate your thoughts, emotions, and actions in a godly manner. That's the idea of self-discipline. And I want to deal with that today and how you and I can live 2021 with self-discipline and how we can meet our goals. So we're going to break that down today. Number one, I want you to notice the benefits of self-discipline. Now, there are a lot of benefits to being self-disciplined in your life. If you want to succeed, you need discipline. You need self-discipline to meet your goals. And we see that throughout the world. In every aspect of your life, you need self-discipline to be successful. You need it in the secular side of things, in the secular world to be successful. Malcolm Gladwell, author of Outliers, The Story of Success, did a study and explains how extraordinary people achieve their success. And after studying for a while, he came to the conclusion that extraordinary people practice a lot. They practice quite a bit. In fact, the magic number is 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours to move you from ordinary to extraordinary in your profession and in your life. 10,000 hours. That's, that takes self-discipline. If you dedicated eight hours a day for an entire year, 365 days, that's only 2,920 hours. So you need some self-discipline in your life to be successful in your job, to be successful in your career. In the secular side of things, we see that to be true. But not only that, the spiritual side of things, we see that to be the case. The greatest men and women of God were Christians who were spirit-controlled and self-disciplined. Each great man and women of God in the Bible, they were self-disciplined in their life. A good example of that would be Charles Spurgeon on the spiritual side of things. He had self-discipline. Spurgeon typically read six books a week. His Bible was always open, his pen always flowing. He answered correspondence, started dozens of benevolent agencies, published a magazine called The Sword and the Trowel, established a college where he lectured, wrote book after book after book on a variety of different subjects, and to top it all off, he worked 18 hours a day and preached 10 times a week. Charles Spurgeon was somebody who was self-disciplined. And we find out that paid off for Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers, apart from the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest preacher of all time. He's still making an impact in our life today, led thousands and thousands of people to the Lord because he was self-disciplined in his life. The secular side, the spiritual side, it points to self-discipline being a key thing in our life. But science backs that up as well. The scientific side points to the fact that you and I, we need self-discipline. In a Christianity Today article titled, The Science of Sinning Last, sociologist Bradley Wright and psychiatrist David Carrion shared research showing that people with more self-control 
actually live longer, are happier, get better grades, are less depressed, are more physically active, have lower resting heart rates, have less alcohol abuse, have more stable emotions, are more helpful to others, get better jobs, earn more money, have better marriages, are more faithful in marriage, and sleep better at night. All of those things you can have on the scientific side for being self-disciplined. Self-discipline is key for us to thrive in 2021. So we see science backs it up. The secular world backs it up. The spiritual world backs it up that we need self-discipline. But the, from the very beginning, the scriptures have been saying that same thing. The scriptures have been telling us that self-discipline brings success. And there are benefits to being self-disciplined in your life. There really is. The Bible says that through self-discipline, we can master our moods in Proverbs 25, 28. We can tame our tongue in Proverbs 13, 3. Control our calendar in Ephesians chapter 5. Manage our money in Proverbs 21, 20. And bridle our body in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4. We see self-discipline is the key thing in the Christian life. It is the secret ingredient to achieving a life beyond amazing. And if you want to succeed in 2021, you need self-discipline. There's benefits to being self-disciplined in your life. H.A. Dorfman said this, self-discipline is a form of freedom. Freedom from laziness and lethargy. Freedom from expectations and demands of others. Freedom from weakness and fear. And freedom from doubts. There are a lot of benefits to being self-disciplined in your life. And I believe every single one of us, we want to be self-disciplined. We want to be able to meet our goals and take the steps to be better in our life, to achieve what God would want us to achieve. But then that brings me to my second point, the battle of self-discipline. Now, we all want to be self-disciplined. We know the benefits of what it takes to be self-disciplined and how it brings success. But obviously, we aren't self-disciplined because we're still struggling today. We struggle with self-discipline. There's a battle between us in our life that causes us to not be self-disciplined in our life. And every failure that we make in our life can be traced back to self-discipline. It really can. There is a sense in which our every failure is a lack of self-control. It really is. Self-control, self-discipline is what we need in the Christian life. And throughout the Bible, we see that to be true. We see that there's a battle. Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden because they yielded to the devil's temptation. Lack of self-control. Cain killed his brother Abel because he couldn't control his anger. Samson was the strongest man on the earth, but he couldn't control his passions. David's greatest failure was lack of self-control when he lusted after Bathsheba. And the nation of Israel was destroyed by Babylon after losing a national sense of self-control during the days of the prophets. Self-control, lack of self-control leads to failure. Lack of self-control, it really does. And that's why in the New Testament, God put so much emphasis on self-discipline and self-control. In the New Testament, self-control is one of the main implications of the gospel. One of the key things that we need. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself. Self-discipline is the first choice a person must make in order to be his disciple. If you want to be his disciple, you got to be disciplined. Self-denial, self-discipline. He said that discipleship begins at the point of self-denial. He puts the key emphasis on self-denial in our life and self-control. You see, it's so important in our life. 
It truly is the difference between success and failure in living a godly life. It really is. But there's a battle that we go through. We go through a battle in our life for self-discipline. And for born-again believers, we struggle with that a lot. At the heart of self-discipline is the reality that each one of us has conflicting desires in our life, right? We want to do good. We want to achieve what God would have us to achieve. We want to read our Bible every single day, but then when the time comes in the morning, we kind of push it off. We don't want to do it. We want to get up early. We want to exercise. We want to better ourselves, but then when the time comes, we, we don't really want to. We want to be a better Christian, but then we, we struggle with giving in to temptations. There's a battle. There's conflicting desires in our life. And for born-again believers, that's because we have a battle between our old nature and our new nature. You see, the moment you got saved, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and you became a new creature. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The moment you accepted Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit in your hearts and in your life, and you were given a new nature, the Bible says, a nature that wants to do good, a nature that can live a victorious Christian life. But that old nature, that doesn't go away. You've got this old nature that's still there, and the key is to put off that old nature and to cling to the new nature. When you let your old nature and your new nature work together, you don't succeed. You've got to reckon yourself dead to sin and live for Jesus Christ. Put off that old nature. That's what the Bible says in Galatians 5.16. In Galatians 5.16, the Bible says, Walk in the spirits, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're walking in the spirit, you're putting off that old man, you're abiding in Jesus Christ, and you're experiencing that fruit of the spirits in Galatians 5. You are experiencing the fruit of temperance, self-discipline in your life. But you have to put off that old nature. You've got to be dead to it. Because what, what, what happens in your life is you've got this old nature, you've got this new nature, and if you're letting your old nature control your life or even be a part of your life, they don't work together. And it literally causes you to not meet your goals. That's what we see a verse later in verse 17 of Galatians 5. The Bible says, For the, lush, uh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirits, and the spirits against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that she would. He's saying when the old nature and the new nature are working together, you can't accomplish what you want to accomplish. You can't accomplish your goals. You can't accomplish your desires. You need to say, done with the old nature, living for the new nature. That's the key to achieving self-discipline because God did not save us to be mediocre. God did not save us to, to live this life where we're struggling all the time because what we find out is with the old nature, you will never achieve your goals if you're letting that old nature control your life. Or if you're letting that old nature be a part of your life. Because the old nature brings problems, man. Not problems from God, problems that you brought on yourself. It brings procrastination. That's the death to success. Procrastination, and it brings pessimism in your life. That's what the old nature brings. You cannot achieve what God wants you to be by giving into those issues. God wants you to be successful. God wants you to be self-disciplined. He doesn't want you to procrastinate at all. That's an old nature quality. What we find out there is the old nature is content with mediocrity. He's content with you guys being mediocre, mediocre Christians. But God did not save you or intend for you to be mediocre. He didn't at all. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're able to do, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. He's got a perfect plan for your life, and mediocrity doesn't have anything to do with it. Mediocrity is not what God wants you to be. Someone once said, the price of excellence is discipline. 
The cost of mediocrity is disappointments. Disappointment. A mediocre life is a disappointing life. And God did not save you to be mediocre. He wants you to live with that new nature, that life of self-discipline to achieve your goals. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, a famous poet, is a good example of mediocrity and lack of self-discipline. William Barclay said this about Coleridge. He said, Coleridge is a supreme tragedy of indiscipline and mediocrity. Never did so great a man produce so little. He left Cambridge University to join the army. He left the army because in spite of all of his wisdom, he could not rub down a horse. He returned to Oxford and left without a degree. He began a paper called The Watchman, which lived for 10 issues and then died. It has been said of him, he lost himself in visions of work to be done that always remained to be done. Coleridge had every poetic gift but one, the gift of sustained and concentrated effort. How many of you fall into that category? How many of you have very uh, great ideas and visions of what you want to be? The, the goals that you have, but you never seem to meet those goals because of lack of self-discipline. You know, maybe in your life you've got some form of success, you know, some qualities, some victories, but not nearly as much as you could. It's because of our lack of self-discipline. God did not save us to have a lack of self-discipline. God did not save us to be mediocre. He didn't at all. No, he didn't save us to be average whatsoever. In fact, the word average isn't even used one time in the Bible. Not once, because God saved and empowered each of us to rise above average and reach heights that we never thought possible. He's got a perfect plan for your life. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece, the Bible says. Your masterpiece, you're his poem, you're his workmanship. He's got a great plan for your life. And a masterpiece is not mediocre at all. No, a masterpiece is something that's great. It's something that's awesome. It's something that brings glory to God. And he's got that plan for your life, but it takes putting off the old man and living for the new. Walk in the spirits, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're walking in the spirits, you've got that self-discipline in your life. It takes self-discipline. Harry S. Truman said this, In reading the lives of great men, I found that the first victory won was over themselves. Self-discipline with all of them came first. We've got a battle right now. We've got a battle between our old nature and our new nature. We've got to put off that old nature, cling to the new. Our first victory needs to be with ourselves. And once we, we put off that old man, walk in the spirit, we can live a life of victory and a life of self-discipline. So we looked at the battle of self-discipline, the benefits of self-discipline. And then number three, I want to look at the blueprints for self-discipline. How can you and I live a self-disciplined life in 2021? What does it take? Well, the Bible kind of lays it out for us, and so we're going to look at that today, how you and I can be self-disciplined in 2021. And there's six steps to achieving self-discipline, six steps for you and for me. Number one, you got to accept your dissatisfaction. Accept being dissatisfied with yourself and in your life. Look with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me there. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And the Apostle Paul is literally saying there, accept your dissatisfaction. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start on verse number 12. Philippians 3 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says there. The Bible says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So in those verses, Paul confessed to his friends at Philippi that he did not consider himself to have achieved his goal of falling after Christ. Following after Christ. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. He was dissatisfied with himself. But think about this now. The apostle Paul was doing great things at this time. He was at the zenith of his career, yet he realized that he had not reached the high points of his calling. He had permeated major cities with the gospel. He had founded churches that continued to flourish. He had written major doctrinal letters that even today astound the scholars, but he was not satisfied with himself. The more he accomplished, the more he saw what needed to be accomplished. Now that's kind of weird, but this was actually one of his keys to success. This was one of the Apostle Paul's spiritual secrets in his life because Paul had an incurable hunger and thirst for God that drove him forward. He was never content. He was never satisfied with himself. If he would lead one person to the Lord, he said, I want to win another. Just one more. If he would start one church, he would say, I want to start another. I want to do great things for the glory of God. I'm not who I want to be yet. I, I will only be satisfied when I'm like Jesus Christ. He accepted his dissatisfaction. We should never want to be content, content with where we're at. We should always want to grow, always want to achieve, because we're not going to be like Christ on this earth completely, right? We will always have things that we need to work on. If we want to achieve success, if we want to be self-disciplined, we need to accept our dissatisfaction. That's the kind of mentality that we need to have, that thirst for God to go forward. The more we desire to know God personally, the more we'll want to know God personally. Amen? Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I will only be satisfied when that nature is gone forever, and I'm just like Jesus Christ. I've just got that new nature living my life in glory, in heaven, amen? I'm not going to be satisfied until that point. That's the first step to self-discipline. Accept your dissatisfaction. But number two, we need to adjust our thought life. That's the second key to self-discipline, adjusting your thought. Make your mind an ally in the battle for self-control. Don't make it an enemy. Don't, don't have those conflicting desires. Make it an ally. Make it a strength in your life. Because the way we think will actually determine the way we act. The way we think will determine the way we act. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or not, you're right. Our thought life is key in our life. All that we achieve or fail to achieve is the direct result of what we think. It really is. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think will affect the way that you act. And the Bible teaches us that our thoughts are important and we cannot change our lives unless we change our thoughts. We need to adjust our thought life. An anonymous author explained this concept in these terms and he said this, Whatever you hold in your mind will tend to occur in your life. If you continue to believe as you have always believed you will continue to act as you have always acted. And if you continue to act as you have always acted, you will continue to get what you have always gotten. If you want different results in your life or in your work, all you have to do is change your minds. we got to change our way of thinking. You will not achieve your goals this new year if you continue to think the way you have always thought. 
You know, we have these New Year's resolutions, this New Year, New You mentality. And normally, we do not reach those resolutions. We do not reach those goals. Year after year, we don't make progress in our life. Year after year, spiritually speaking, we're, we're, we, we stay put where we're at. And we don't grow as much as we can. It's because we're thinking the same way we did a year before. And the same way we did after that. We need to adjust our thoughts to be who God called us to be. And that's what the Bible says. I'm not making this stuff up. Romans 12, 2 says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transformed, metamorphosis, be changed to what God called us to be by the renewing of our mind. We need to change the way we think. We need to think like Jesus Christ. That's the key, man. To self-discipline, you got to think like Christ. You got to think positive first off. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good reports, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. He's saying think on the positive, think on the lovely, think on the greats. Don't think on the negative. That word think there means to concentrate, to ponder, to meditate on. That should be where you're directing your thoughts. The positive, not the negative. Think on the good and not the bad. And that will be the first step. And being who God called you to be because good thoughts and actions can never produce bad results. And bad thoughts and actions can never produce good results. You think on the good, you're going to start thinking right and you're going to be able to live with self-discipline. Don't put yourself down. Don't think that you're unworthy and terrible. In Jesus Christ, you've got the victory in Christ Jesus. Think positive, don't think negative. The mind can only think one thought at a time too. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I struggle with negative thoughts. Man, I got the melancholy tendency where I always can see the negative with the positive, always. But when those negative thoughts come in, let's cast those thoughts down. The Bible says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Those times where those negative thoughts come in your mind, you cast those thoughts down. Like to Dikembe Mutombo with the finger wag. You cast those thoughts and you say, hey, I'm a child of God. I'm going to think on the positive, amen? Because the mind can only think one thought at a time. If we have a negative thought, we can put that down and have a positive thought. Think positive. That's the first step to thinking like Christ and adjusting your thoughts. But not only that, you got to think with power. Because the power of positive thinking can only go so far. I'm not giving you a self-help book today. I'm giving you this self-help book. I'm preaching the Word of God right now. And if we think with power, that's the key to adjusting our thoughts. Because the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's not just the power of positive thinking. It's thinking like Jesus Christ. It's abiding in Jesus Christ and experiencing the power of Almighty God. The Bible says, strengtheneth you. That word strengthen means endue with power. What we find out is you have the almighty power of God on your side. Literally, God's almighty power in your hearts and in your life. The Bible says that the same power that rose up Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that works in you. That power can adjust your thoughts. That power will adjust your thoughts, will allow you to be self-disciplined, and will allow you to achieve your goals. I can do all things through Christ. I can be self-disciplined through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can meet my goals through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's a promise, amen? But it begins with your thoughts. You got to think positive. Think with power. Someone once said, we sow a thought and reap an action. We sow an action and reap a habit. We sow a habit and reap a character, 
and we sow a character and reap a destiny. The way that we think will affect the way that we act. The way that we think will help us reach the heights that God wants us to reach. Think positive. Think with power. Adjust your thoughts, number two. But then number three, you got to avoid tempting situations. If you want to meet your goals, you can't be tempted all the time, right? The best way to avoid temptation, too, is to stay away from it. It really is. I'm reminded of this guy who broke his arm in two places, and he went to the doctor, and he said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. And the doctor said, well, don't go to those places. Amen? You know, there's some truth to that. Bad joke. That's a bad joke, but there's some truth to that. Avoid tempting situations. That's the way to do it. Don't put yourself in situations where you'll be tempted to give in, right? Now, there's going to be some times where you are tempted, but don't put yourself in situations that you know you're going to be tempted in because we need to remember tempting situations are fine if you don't have the opportunity to be tempted. Opportunity and temptation, they go hand in hand. Now, temptation in and of itself without the opportunity to give in to that sin or give in to that desire, that's fine opportunity in and of itself without temptation, that's fine, right? Because you don't feel like giving into that desire. But when you put those two things together, that's where it gets tough. So the key to overcoming temptation when it comes to maybe some sweets that you're giving into or spiritually speaking on a more spiritual application as well, avoid tempting situations and tempting spots. That's the key, amen? You guys are going to make fun of me, but um, a lot of times I work from home and before my wife goes to work, I have her take my video game controllers with her to work. That sounds terrible, but I do. Do you want to why? You want to know why? Because I don't trust myself. If I see that, that controller there, I'm going to want to play some video games. I'm going to want to call and play Fortnite or something like that. No. That, so I avoid those tempting situations. I have her take those controllers with her so I can get some work done. Amen? Avoid tempting situations. And there's going to be times when you're faced with temptation. There's no way around it. We can't live this life without being tempted. It's just what's going to happen. But there are ways to overcome it for you and for me. Spiritually speaking, we've got a way to overcome those temptations. We are more than conquerors through his love. God has called us to always triumph in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. We have ways to overcome temptation in our life. And there's two ways I want to look at today on how we can overcome temptation. In his book, The Science of Self-Discipline, Peter Hollins gave a number of ways to overcome temptation. I'm just going to focus on two. And one of the ways was the 10-minute rule, he said. He said, whenever you feel like giving into a desire, whenever you have an urge to give in, just stop and say, I'm going to wait 10 minutes. I'm going to wait 10 minutes and assess the situation in 10 minutes. And um, according to the study, the majority of the time, you lost that desire by just waiting 10 minutes because you take away the immediate and immediate gratification. The 10-minute rule goes a long way. You can take away that desire. I've been, since I've been studying this, I've been practicing that, and it seems to help. It really does. The 10-minute rule is the first one, but also the 10-10-10 rule he gave. The next time you feel like you're about to give in to an urge or give in to a, a temptation, stop and ask yourself three things. How am I going to feel in 10 minutes, 10 hours, and 10 days from now? If I give in to this urge 10 minutes from now, how am I going to feel? 10 hours from now, 10 days from now. And if you just stop to think about that, Think about your future self. It can help you avoid that temptation. Because the key thing for us is we need to think about our actions. That's our biggest thing in giving into temptation and giving into those things. We don't think about our actions. We don't think about um, the, the issues that we'll deal with if we give into that. So if you just stop to think about your future self, it can help you overcome temptation. Now, again, that's more secular studies that I'm looking at. But the Bible says that no matter what, you and I as born-again believers, we can overcome temptation. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. What that verse is saying is whenever a temptation comes your way, God has given you a way to say no to that temptation and live for Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. God is faithful. That's a promise. We got to avoid tempting situations, though. We got to avoid tempting situations. That's number three. Number four, though, we got to acquire new habits. That's the fourth step to self-discipline. We need some new habits in our life if we want to be self-disciplined in 2021. To accomplish our goals, we must distill our dreams into daily actions. Aristotle, Aristotle famously said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Developing habits is key to achieving your goals. And the Apostle Paul understood this. He understood this to be true. He talks about habits a lot in the Bible. He understood that godliness and the godliness that every single Christian desires begins with the right habits. It's achieved with the right habits. 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says to Timothy, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. That term exercise thyself means to train with a plan and with discipline. Exercise thyself with a plan, with a routine. It has to do with developing your habits. Developing habits leads to self-discipline. According to sociologist Bradley Wright, there are three parts to a habit. A behavior, what is done a cue when it is done, and a reward why it is done. What am I going to do that I want to be a habit? When am I going to do it each and every day? And why am I going to do it? Why do I want this habit in my life? You, you, you think about that, you put it together, you practice it regularly, bam, you got yourself a habit. A habit in your life. And habits are key to reaching your goals. And studies find that if you do something consistently for 66 days, it becomes a habit. So develop something that you want to do this new year. Maybe you want to read your Bible every day. Maybe you want to exercise, get healthy. Develop habits in your life. Man, do it and follow through. Practice regularly for 66 days. Count it down. Bam, it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit, and then you can live with self-discipline in your life. I'm telling you, man, the Lord's been so good to me this past year. He's helped me so much in developing habits in my life. It's an amazing thing, but you just got to get past those 66 days. Practice it regularly, count it down, and you can be who God called you to be. That's acquire new habits, number four. Number five, this is something that we all need. We need accountability partners. We need accountability if we want to reach our goals. Having someone hold you accountable is vital to developing self-discipline. It really is. It goes a long way in achieving your goals. And the Bible talks about accountability partners a lot in Scripture and a ton in the New Testament. James 5.16, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We see that term one another used twice there. And throughout the Bible, that term is used. The term one another is used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. 94 New Testament verses indicating that we need one another in life. We need one another in the Christian life. And if we have an accountability partner, it will go a long way. It will help us stay accountable and stay focused on reaching our goals. And science points what the scriptures have said. It's known as the Hawthorne effect. And following this Hawthorne effect, it allows you to meet your goals. Accountability partners goes a long way. Have somebody that you talk to week after week. Tell somebody your goals and have them try to 
hold you accountable. It will go a long way in your life. And God said this from the very beginning. God never intended for his children to be isolated and alone. He never intended uh, for that to be the case. When Jesus sent the disciples out he, to begin preaching on their own, he sent them in pairs. When Elijah was depressed and discouraged, God gave him Elisha to join him in the ministry. When God commanded the early church to send out missionaries, they sent Paul and Barnabas together. Time and time again, you see people together, accountability partners. God intends for us to have accountability and to be held accountable in our life. And it will go a long way in achieving your goals. Jesse and I, we are accountability partners together. There's just about every day we talk with one another and we hold each other accountable on things in the ministry and even things that are out of the ministry. And it goes a long way. And I wouldn't be who I would be today apart from Jesse and what we've done in our friendship over the last year. It's been amazing. Accountability partners go a long way. That's number five. And then I'm done. Number six, we're almost done. Abide in Jesus Christ. If you want self-discipline in your life, it takes abiding in Christ, amen? Abiding in Jesus Christ is the number one key to self-discipline. Because when you're abiding in Christ, it's what brings out the fruit of the spirits in your life. I said this in Sunday school, but I'll say it again. In John chapter 15, it's known as the abiding chapter in the Bible. And Jesus Christ gives the illustration of a vine and a branch. And he says, I'm the vine, you as Christians are the branch, and if you want to grow fruits, if you want to accomplish anything in life, if you want to live the life of victory, you need to be attached to me. Because branch in and of itself it's not going to grow fruit. It can't produce anything. It can try to grow fruit all at once, but it's not going to happen. But when it's attached to a vine, bam, you got yourself fruits in your life. That's what the Bible says there. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruits, for without me, ye can do nothing. He says, nothing of lasting value can be accomplished apart from Jesus Christ. And when you're abiding in me, when you have a strong personal relationship with me, you're going to experience that awesome fruit of the spirits in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That love, that joy, that peace, that long suffering, that gentleness, that goodness, that faith, that meekness, that temperance. Temperance is self-discipline and self-control. It takes abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, I gave you a lot of advice on how to be self-disciplined in your life, and a lot of it was secular knowledge that I learned when I was studying. And, and you can take that advice and maybe develop some self-discipline in your life. Maybe, in your own strength, you might be able to do it. But what you'll experience is willpower depletion. Willpower depletion. That's what studies say. Literally, did you know you can run out of willpower in your life? You really can. Doing it in your own strength again and again and again, you can run out of that willpower. You really can. It's like running out of gas in your car. But you want to know something? You never have to worry about running out of the Holy Spirit. You never have to worry about running out of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Hey, if you're abiding in Jesus Christ, you've got that constant flow, that constant stream of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when you're abiding in Christ, you've got self-discipline. You don't need that willpower depletion. You won't experience that by abiding in Him. And that word abide used in the Bible, it literally means remain. Remain in Jesus Christ. When you're remaining in him, you've got that fruit of the spirits. You've got Jesus Christ working through you. But doing it by yourself, you're not remained in Jesus Christ anymore. You're doing your own thing. It's kind of like me unplugging this. You lose the light. 
You lose the energy. You lose the strength. You lose the power. But when we're abiding in Christ, we've got the victory in Christ Jesus. We can meet our goals in 2021, and we can be self-disciplined as we all stand.